Good morning. Happy early Thanksgiving. I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we continue on in the, our study this morning of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, which is the center of this great sermon of Jesus's called the Sermon on the Mount. And today we come to this tricky little section in verse 12, which says, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. On June 17th in 2015, a little bit after 6 in the evening in Charleston, South Carolina, a young man walked into Emmanuel AME Church into a Bible study uh, with quite a number of folks from the church there. And he sat through the study with them. And as they, at the end, closed their eyes to pray, he pulled out a gun and began to open fire on this group of believers who were praying in the basement of this church. A few days later, the next day, they arrested a young man named Dylan Roof, and uh, he was brought to trial, was brought brought to arraignment. And I I, I don't know if you remember this story, but I want you to see um, from just a few days after uh, this event took place what happened. So we're going to show just a little video here. In the massacre at the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina overnight, a packed vigil, thousands of people, you can see them locking arms, hear them singing those songs and remembering the nine people that were shot dead inside that church. All of this after a very dramatic and moving, powerful courtroom confrontation between the families of the victims and the young suspect, Dylan Roof. ABC's Steve Osinsami beginning our coverage in Charleston this morning. Good morning, Steve. Good morning to you, Paula. I have to tell you, I'm still struck by something we're seeing this morning, days after the killings here. People are still marching up with flowers in their hands and grief on their faces to pay their respects to the, to the people who were killed here. And, and these are people of all ages and all colors. The police have set up a barricade to make more room for them in the street. Authorities are also telling us this morning that the 21-year-old they have in custody who reportedly wanted to start a race war is confessing to the murders here. At 21-year-old Dylan Roof's first court appearance, a judge decided to keep him locked up with a million-dollar bond. You're charged with nine counts of murder and one count of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. While off camera, the families of the nine people he's accused of murdering at a Bible study were speaking out with surprising compassion for Roof. He could hear their every word, the daughter of Ethel Lance speaking to him directly. I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. The mother of Tawanza Sanders shed tears as she spoke. Police say Roof meant to kill African Americans. We welcome you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautifulest people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts and I'll never be the same. But the sister of Reverend DePayne Middleton says she's struggling. For me, I'm a work in progress, and I acknowledge that I am very angry. But one thing DePayne has always joined in and our family with is that she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. 
I pray God on your soul. Her cousin, also a reverend, tells us she's grieving badly. She was my big cousin, she was my big sister, and everything she did, I wanted to do it too. A near-capacity crowd came to this college basketball arena for a vigil. Beloved, if you will think about the nine names. Praying for the dead Friday night. If that young man thought he was going to divide this community or divide this country with his racial hatred, we are here today and all across America resoundingly say he miserably failed. The families here are still waiting for the medical examiner to finish his process and release them the bodies so that they can begin the planned funerals. Dan. Steve, thank you. And what the mayor said about the failure to divide that community, very powerful. Steve Ozenson. You can stop right there. Thank you. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Most of us haven't had to go through a traumatic situation like that where our loved ones have been murdered, some of them in front of our eyes. But all, many of us have been through traumatic situations of different kinds and different sorts. And if we were to have written the Lord's Prayer, I guarantee that we would not have written it the way that Jesus wrote it. There's so many things in there that we probably would have added, you know, a few little extra requests perhaps. A few things that maybe aren't so hard to live out. And especially verse 12. I, th I think we shy away from the first part of this verse. Forgive us our debts because it's really uncomfortable. To talk about our debts, to talk about our sins, to talk about our trespasses is difficult for us. Because it brings up old guilt and old shame and, and things that maybe we don't want to think about or we don't want to talk about. It brings up unpleasant memories. It, come, it causes us to come face to face with our own need for forgiveness. It makes us confess like, I've actually sinned. I've actually hurt other people. I've actually done something wrong. And that just, well... If you've ever had to confess something, it's just not pleasant, is it? But the last half of the petition is really something else. <laughs> Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, forgive me just like I've forgiven others. Think about that just for a minute. Do you hold any grudges? Are you angry with anyone right now? Have you held on to a slight or a wound or an abuse and justified it in your mind because it was so bad, because it was so egregious, because uh, you couldn't imagine ever doing it to anyone else? Because what basically Jesus is directing us to here in this prayer is, is pretty stark. Father, forgive me just like I've forgiven others who have hurt me. You could twist that around and put it this way. God, would you please hold against me the same kind of grudges that I'm holding against other people? Okay, I got some audible groans there. It's the same prayer. If I have failed to forgive, if I hold a grudge, would you treat me the same way I treat others? Who in their right mind would pray such a prayer? Kingdom citizens would. People who know and follow Jesus Christ would. People who have truly and radically experienced the kind of forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus Christ would. Because 
kingdom citizens who have become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ know how radically they've been forgiven. And that changes everything. And that, my friends, is what we saw in that video and what we heard. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But first I want to ask the question, and, and this is another one of those mirrors onto our own hearts. And the question is this, why don't we forgive? Because Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows that we have struggled, that we do struggle, that we will struggle in the future to forgive other people. He knows that one of the most difficult things for human beings to do is to live mercifully towards others. And I think there are several reasons we struggle to forgive. This isn't an exhaustive list, but I want to offer you actually six reasons. This isn't going to take the rest of the sermon. We'll go through them fairly quickly, but just think about them, and some of them may resonate with you, others may not. I think one of the reasons we don't forgive is because the hurt is too great, or the hurt seems too great. We've been hurt. We've been wounded. When someone hurts your feelings, maybe it's a, a, a little slight at work or in the home, it's, it seems like a small thing to forgive. Sometimes it thing, seems insurmountable, but, but really often it's nothing. But when someone abuses you, or someone murders your mother, or someone kidnaps your child, all of a sudden we've entered into a completely different solar system of hurt and, and damage and loss. Right? We, we kind of go, I can forgive to a certain point, but there's probably in my mind a line, and I won't forgive past that. And, and most of us would nod our head and say, well, okay, that makes absolute sense. Someone murders one of my child, I'm going to have a really tough time. One of my children, I'm going to have a really tough time offering any kind of forgiveness. But let me ask this, where is that line? Where's the line for you to, across which you won't go in, in regards to forgiveness? How bad does an offense need to be to become unforgivable? Because if I read the Bible correctly, you and I and every person in the history of the world, save one, Jesus Christ, had a hand in murdering the very Son of God. And God himself would put his son on a cross and use the most heinous crime in the history of the world as grounds for your forgiveness for murdering his son. The paradox is just wild. I'm going to forgive you for the, for the most heinous crime in the universe based on that very crime. It's, it's only because of that murder that forgiveness for that murder is often to offered to us. And that is the, the weight, that's the tragic beauty of the cross. That we, in, the, in that act, we have received the ultimate forgiveness. I think another reason we struggle to forgive is because it requires taking a loss. And in verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12, and I'm reading the ESV, but it says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And that word there is, is a word referring to a financial debt, a financial debt that has been forgiven. And in the financial world, when you forgive a debt, you write off what is owed. So somebody has got a, a massive debt or a minimal debt, whatever, the debt is in the debit column. And, and, and to forgive that debt, I've got to credit the account, the exact same amount to bring the balance to zero. And, and, and Jesus is using that word now in a moral sense that we are in debt against God and he is writing off that loss. But in any kind of forgiveness, someone has to take a loss. 
Someone has to, has to credit an account in a, in a way that's not deserved. As Tim Keller, pastor and teacher, writes, he says this, When you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it yourself. All forgiveness, he says, is costly. And we resist forgiving debt or taking on loss for precisely that reason. It costs too much. And sometimes we feel we can't take another loss. Something great has already been taken away from me, and you want me to take a bigger loss than that? And yet Jesus, on the cross, embraces the ultimate loss for each one of us. Another reason we struggle to forgive is that sometimes it feels like a betrayal. Perhaps a loved one has been hurt. For these families in Charleston, of the nine victims, they had a loved one taken from them. And perhaps to forgive would feel like I'm betraying that loved one. I'm betraying what happened to them. I'm not advocating for them in a sense of justice. But as we'll see in a moment, forgiveness does not negate justice. It doesn't negate accountability for sin. It simply places judgment in the correct hands into the hands of God. Fourth, I think sometimes we struggle to forgive because we love justice. And it's clear in reading reading Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that as he describes what life in the kingdom of heaven is like, he's describing an economy that runs on mercy. He's describing an economy of mercy. And if it wasn't an economy of mercy, none of us could live there. If the kingdom of heaven was only run on an economy of justice, then we would all be left outside the door. But the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of mercy. Looking to Christ, we see that on the cross, God's justice and God's mercy Kiss. They meet together. They fit together perfectly on the cross because God takes our sins, which, which, which deserve infinite punishment, infinite justice, and he takes them in his mercy on himself, and he pays for them. God didn't abandon justice when Christ went to the cross to purchase our forgiveness. Jesus perfectly satisfied divine justice on our behalf while at the same time extending mercy to you and me, his enemies. The fifth reason we struggle to forgive, I think, is because we think that we're better than others. And this is just simple, flat-out pride. And in our lack of humility, we forget that we're just as bad off as the one who has sinned against us. We imagine that we're better than them for some reason. We haven't done the thing that they've done, so we must be better. We must be more deserving of God's forgiveness than they are. But that simply isn't true. All of us, no matter how bad our sins and our crimes, stand before a holy God infinitely indented to him due to our sin. And according to the last chapter, Jesus would say that if you're even angry against your brother, you're committing murder. The distance between me and Adolf Hitler is about that much, maybe even closer, in comparison to both of our distance from God and his holiness and his perfection and his goodness. Finally, I think the 
reason that we don't, the last reason I think we don't forgive is because we think we're better than God. And again, this is simply pride. We mistakenly think that we're more important than God. That, that we arrogantly, uh, how arrogant can we be to think that a person can receive God's forgiveness, but they're not worthy of mine? All of a sudden, my forgiveness is more important than God's in my mind. Dallas Willard writes this. He said, if my pride If my pride is untouched when I pray for forgiveness from God, I have not prayed for forgiveness. I don't even understand it. In this petition, Jesus reminds us of our need not only to forgive, but our need to be forgiven. So those are just some reasons I think that we don't forgive as we we wrestle with this. But now I'd like to turn our attention as we seek to understand what it means to live in in Jesus' kingdom of mercy, what does it mean to live in an economy of mercy? We must first understand that we serve a king who majors in mercy, who who runs in forgiveness. That is his character. That is his his personality. It is mercy and forgiveness. Not only that, but we, we have to remember that as we live in this world, our very actions, if we take the name of the king, if we follow Jesus, if we call ourselves Christians, that our actions reflect upon his character. So his character is at stake in how we live in this world. Now, in his perfection, God is compassionate. He's tender. He's merciful towards his creation. As Melissa read earlier from Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So God loves us because we're his creation. He understands our frame, our our weakness. And he extends compassion towards us in our creatureliness, in our humanity. But he doesn't stop there. It extends his mercy, his grace extends even to his rebellious enemies. When he was on the cross, Jesus didn't look to his Roman executioners and beg them for mercy. He looked to his father and begged him to show mercy to his executioners. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Hanging on the cross, Jesus says to his father, as these people murder him, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in Christ, we have access to forgiveness that carries our infinite debt for us. We encounter a love that is fully for us, even his enemies. And when I don't forgive, what I usually do, when I usually withhold forgiveness, what happens is that I'm doing it for my own sake, and in the long run, I end up doing it at my own expense. I desire to make others pay, but I'm really the only one in that equation who loses. But in contrast to this, Christ loves me at his own expense. 
And the mysterious beauty of Christ's love is that the one who has every right to be angry with sinners chooses to absorb his own anger and then in the process frees us from the prison of our anger and provides us a resource, provides us a resource that will give us freedom because it's a resource called forgiveness. And not only do we experience it, but now we have the the beautiful right and the privilege to extend it to those who do not deserve it. We can only forgive because we have, through Jesus, been, been given this gift and this resource of forgiveness. There's no, there's no human power. There's no earthly ability that would allow us to do so. And only, only when we truly understand the, the forgiveness which Christ offers to us will we be able to extend the same kind of forgiveness that Christ requires, even to our enemies. There was a documentary made about the uh, Emmanuel Church and the, the shooting and the forgiveness after that. And I want to just show a little clip of it because it plays right into this. And we're going to watch that here, I think. Just for a couple minutes, so let's watch. When the media began to cover the family's response to what took place, it forced me to pause and try to understand what was going on. What was I looking at? What was I experiencing here? Some people see the family's forgiveness as submission to centuries of oppression, acts of hatred against black people. But if we look closely, that act of forgiveness demonstrated great courage. And I, didn't, I wasn't going to let it eat me the rest of my life, you know. So I had to forgive him. I didn't want him to die either. I didn't want the death sentence. I wanted him to live so maybe he could repent later on, turn his life around. God would, would save him. He might get there, and I might be on the other side. All he had to do was repent and, and ask God to forgive him. I don't know of any other religious belief system besides Christianity where an innocent man hangs on a cross, suffering immeasurable pain, torment, torture, and he looks out at his accusers and he prays a prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that act of forgiving people, even when they do what they do in ignorance, is the greatest act of love and the greatest act of release that one could ever experience. The beauty of forgiveness is whether Dylan Roof accepted responsibility, demonstrated remorse, doesn't matter. Those that he offended can forgive him and walk away free while he continues to carry the burden of his actions. For those who lost loved ones that day at Emmanuel AME Church in June of 2015, forgiveness 
wasn't easy. You can't look at that story and those lives and those people and think, oh, they just turned a switch on and they were able to forgive and forget and move on. That's not the story. Many haven't been able to forgive. Many still wrestle with that. The woman you saw there in the, in the video was actually in the room as her friends and loved ones were being shot. And Dylan Roof looked at her and said, have I shot you yet? And she said, no. He said, okay, I'm not going to. I'm going to let you live and tell the story. And the story that she's lived to tell isn't his story. It's God's story. It's a story of forgiveness and mercy. It's a story of a completely different economy that he knows nothing of at this point, I think. Maybe he will someday, and that's her hope for him. She's actually advocated that he not be put to death, even though that was his sentence. You've heard the mantra, forgive and forget, but in the, in the wake of heinous violence like that, of course, this statement um, can seem really trite, but at other times it can reflect a, a genuine heart of pity and mercy towards others. But I've heard people say, I can forgive, but I'm not going to forget, and I think that's probably the human way. I forgive you, but because I'm human and because what you did to me was so traumatic, I will struggle to forget. I have to live with the pain. I have to live with the trauma. I have to live with the wounds. I have to live with the loss. And that is why the forgiveness that I extend to you now is so profound. Because I can't just drop the pain or the wounds or the loss, but I can give forgiveness There's much at stake in our forgiveness. Not only is the petition in the Lord's Prayer unique in that it's the only prayer that's contingent. So, Father, forgive me as I forgive others. There's a a contingency. We have to do something in order to be forgiven. It's also the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus comes back around and comments on afterwards. He doesn't... He doesn't talk about his holiness or the kingdom being coming or daily bread, but he does come back around in verses 14 and 15 and say, you know what, I need to explain something here. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in other words, just to be clear, let me accentuate the point that forgiveness is contingent. And he's not saying that we earn forgiveness or that we buy our way into into salvation with God. But in a sense, what he's doing is taking a highlighter to verse 12 and saying, pay attention, this is important. This petition is difficult, it's unusual, but more than anything, it's of the utmost importance if you're going to live in the economy of the kingdom where blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And we're blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this contingency of extending and receiving mercy isn't a one-off saying that's limited to these verses here. Jesus repeats these same thoughts in, in the book of Mark and in the book of Luke. And he says here in Mark 11, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. 
Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Later in this gospel, Jesus will tell one of the most poignant parables that he tells. And it acts as a vivid illustration of this petition. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. You can find it in Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. Jesus teaches on church discipline, and then Simon Peter pipes up, as he usually does, responding to Jesus' teaching on forgiveness, thinking he's being really generous. And he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? That seems pretty generous. And Jesus' famous response launches him into this parable where he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven which doesn't mean 490 and then 491, you're off the hook. It means keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. The parable tells the story of a servant who owed his master millions of dollars, but he was unable to pay for it, so he begs his master for mercy, and in moved in pity and with compassion, the master completely forgives this servant his entire debt and sends him out free. But instead of being changed by that forgiveness, he walks out, he collars his fellow servant who owes him a few hundred bucks, and he says, pay up or you're going to pay in prison. And And this fellow servant begs him for mercy, but unlike his master, this servant is unmoved by the pleas for mercy, and and this man throws him into debtor's prison. The master hears about the incident and then calls the servant in, and here's what he says in verse 32, you Wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And this parable is just another kind of nail in our coffin, if you will. Of forgiveness. It's a shocking illustration that perhaps the greatest moral ugliness in the New Testament is, is a refusal to forgive. And the moral of the story is that because God constantly deals with us on the basis of unmerited mercy, Jesus calls us to be people who deal with others on the basis of that same undeserved mercy. But if we choose justice over mercy in our dealings with our, with our fellow men and women, then we will receive justice over mercy. And if you want justice from God, go for it. I want mercy. I want mercy. And the kind of people who live in the kingdom and follow Jesus are not the kind of people who hold on to anger and who hold on to bitterness and create in themselves a hard heart that's unable to forgive. It's not what Jesus does in our hearts. That's not the work that Jesus does in our lives. It's not the fruit he would bear in his people. For judgment, James says, is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So Jesus' teaching is clear. Forgiveness unextended implies forgiveness unaccepted. Forgiveness unextended implies forgiveness unaccepted. If I refuse to extend forgiveness to others, then I have never really received it myself. 
So perhaps we should pray Matthew 6, 12 with words like this. Forgive us, God. Have mercy on us. And because we are in such desperate need, help us to forgive others. It's a plea for help. It's a plea for help. Now, the church is what I would call a community of mercy. And when we have truly experienced the unearned forgiveness that's found in Jesus alone, then we can do nothing but live lives of radical forgiveness towards others. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And as Doc read this morning from Colossians chapter 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And central to Jesus' mission in this world Central to the Father sending His Son into the world is the forgiveness of sins. That is why He came. And the message of the church, the the message of Jesus' disciples, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the free offer of forgiveness in Jesus Christ to the world. And as God's kingdom people, as his representatives in the world, how can we live in this message of forgiveness and share it if we do not reflect a message of forgiveness in the way that we deal with each other and in the way that we posture ourselves in the world? Does the world look at us as a church and say, they are people of mercy? Does the, church, does the world look at the church at large and say, they are a people of mercy? They're the people who serve a king who hung on a cross innocently and took our sin upon him and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when we hang on to unforgiven sin, that's not the way of the kingdom. And those who will not let go of that will not remain long in the kingdom. They won't live by faith because the same faith that trusts Christ for my forgiveness completely is the same faith that must trust Christ when I forgive something that seems completely unforgivable. You see, the church has a unique opportunity to be light in this world. And when I look at the world, I see divisiveness. And it's a divisiveness that will not be healed by the world's strategies. It will not be healed by political parties or pundits. It will not be healed by anything but mercy. Divisiveness will not heal divisiveness. Hurling insults or rallying behind vulgar mottos and let's go Brandon flags is not the way of the kingdom. It's not the way of mercy The church will not be light in the world through political grandstanding or power grabbing or conspiracy theories. It will not be light in the world through hatred and animosity towards our enemies who are actually our neighbors. 
We will be light of the world through living and walking in the kingdom way of mercy and forgiveness. That is the way of Jesus in this world. That is how we will influence the world for him. So the question for each of us that we have to answer goes right back to our hearts. And it's simply this. Who do you need to forgive? What bitterness or anger or malice do you need to release into God's hands? Where do you harbor unforgiveness towards an individual, towards maybe somebody in your family, maybe somebody in this church, maybe somebody you work with? Where where do you harbor that unforgiveness towards a group of people or a political figure or party or, or a faceless ideology that's out there? Where is the root of bitterness in your heart? Because the only thing that can kill that is mercy. But we all, have to, we all have to look inside. We all have to find it for ourselves. We all have to allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in us. So let's start by praying together. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you knowing that we are imperfect, confessing our weakness, Confessing what seems like an utter inability at times to forgive. Yet, Father, as we look at Jesus this morning hanging on the cross, our Savior, our King, the perfect man, fully God and fully man. We look at him and know that we did not deserve it. We did not deserve your mercy. We do not deserve your grace. We do not deserve your pardon, your forgiveness, your love. We do not deserve to be called sons and daughters. We deserve to be called enemies and to be punished forever. And yet you have extended mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And God, I pray that we would revel in that, that we would walk in it, that it would transform who we are and how we live in this world, how we treat others. God, that you would start at the core of our beings and and allow us to forgive some of the hurts that have, have been perpetrated against us, some of the hurts that rightly deserve anger and justice. May we release them to you, not with the not with the hope that we can just forget and move on, but with the hope that you would do a work in our hearts and for the other drawing us all into the kingdom economy of mercy. Lord, may we walk in that as lights in a dark world. Send us today, Lord, with hearts of forgiveness, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus, and based on his great mercy, amen.